Good morning. While the choir makes their way down, I've got to tell you a story that happened last night in the church office. I almost didn't see this Christmas. Um, it's in my church office late at night, uh, uh, praying, actually, and taking one last uh, look at the sermon and the PowerPoint and just preparing um, for you all this morning. And I heard this noise, uh, this kind of weird-sounding noise. And I thought, God, I wonder what in the world that is. And so it seems to be coming from the bottom drawer in my desk. So I'm thinking, I'm even thinking going in, wait, is there like a mouse like under my desk or something? So I'm even thinking going in. So I take that bottom drawer, I open it up, this mouse leaps out, <laughs> runs up my arm, and you know, so I'm going, <laughs> thing jumps down and runs under my shelves. And the reason I almost didn't see Christmas is I almost died of a heart attack right there. My heart, I was like, I like stand up. So um, please give generously this year. We need mouse traps in the office building. <laughs> um, hey, uh, last week, last week we began talking about Ebenezer Scrooge, who, if you were here, we remember his name literally means squeezed standing stone of help, this squeezed, scroogey man whose name Ebenezer ought to be and ought to mean standing stone of help. And I suggested to you last week that Dickens sends these spirits to Scrooge to help unsqueeze him, to help him become in the true spirit and generosity of Christmas, the standing stone of help that he is supposed to be. And we asked, and we'll unpack in the next three weeks, how is it that each of those spirits did that for Scrooge? How did each do it? What part did each spirit play in Scrooge's redemption, in his transformation from a squeezed stone of help to a stone of help, a standing stone of help, a standing stone for all of us and what it means to celebrate the true spirit of, of Christmas. How did each of those spirits do it? To set the stage for this ghost, the spirit of Christmas past, this morning to set the stage for this message, I've invited back to the platform members of our crack dramatic team, uh, fresh back from their most recent double secret probation for whatever scandalous thing they did the last time. They're eager to do better, and uh, no, they always do a great job. Do you remember, do you remember the first time that you were really in love. I mean, head over heels in love. Do you remember? For Jill and me, it, it went something like this. See what you think. Let's watch. Wider than a mile I'm crossing you in style someday Oh 
Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Brianna. Ah, new love. You remember? Have you ever experienced new love? There's nothing quite like it, is there? That strong, deep, overwhelming emotion. Um, so deep it, uh, it almost aches. Doesn't it? You feel it in the pit of your stomach. It's like, oh, I just want to be with her. I just want to be with him. Oh, and you count the moments. And that new love when they can do nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. New love that is so overwhelming and so real and so all consuming. There really isn't anything in life that can shake that underlying joy of new love. Come what may, you're in love. Oh. Have you ever experienced that first real love? And then, as love grows older, it can sometimes 
dim. It grows and matures in some way that time together and experience together can only add. But if you're like most couples, you'll find that you'll start to long for and wonder where that all-encompassing romance, why doesn't your stomach ache anymore for the next time you see her or you see him and are in the presence of your first new love. Ebenezer Scrooge had that kind of love once before Scrooge became a Scrooge. But he let her go. He let her go when he allowed another love to take her place. His love of money, his love of self, really. And allowed himself to be squeezed. Scrooge did. Ebenezer forgot his first real love forgot the woman he was to marry. And Charles Dickens suggests that that forgetting, that decision to walk away from that power of first love contributed to Ebenezer becoming a squeezed standing stone of help and forgetting that true spirit of Christmas, it's generosity, it's other focus, it's giving, it's love. And so Dickens, through Jacob Marley, sends the spirit of Christmas past to Ebenezer to take him back, take him back on a walk down memory lane and to remind him of love. And what better kind of love to remind Ebenezer of than that first real love. And so the Spirit takes him back to a Christmas past when he was a young man, courting a young woman named Isabel, and takes him back when he's deeply in love with her. And he remembers He begins to remember his first real love. And it helps to break Scrooge. It helps to unsqueeze him. It softens him. And it opens a door to a path to his rediscovering that true, giving, other-focused spirit of Christmas. Seeing and remembering his younger self in love reminds Ebenezer what it was like, what it was like to think of someone else before yourself. Such is often the power of a walk down memory lane, isn't it? There's a great word that captures this. We become nostalgic. Nostalgia means 
a sentimental longing for the past. It's a Greek word, really. It comes from two roots, nastas, which means returning home, and algas, meaning a pain or an ache or a longing for. And so nostalgia means a longing for, an aching longing and desire and yearning to return home. And we see Scrooge grow nostalgic as the Spirit shows him, reminds him of that deep love that he had in the past. Scrooge finds himself wanting that again, longing for it. How long has it been since I've thought of that? I've forgotten. Oh, this wonderful first real love that I, I somehow forgot and walked away from. God is nostalgic. Did you know? He longs for that new, fresh love between him and his people. That new, fresh love when we first loved him, first discovered his love for us and our love for him. He longs to walk with us hand in hand in the garden again. Listen to the ache in God's voice when he speaks in Jeremiah of the day when he brings his people back. He says, I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn son. God remembers the day when he and his children were first head over heels in love and he longs for it, God does. God opens that same book of Jeremiah with the message to his people, I remember, I remember, God says, the devotion of your youth. I remember the devotion of your youth how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Oh, what fault, what fault did your fathers find in me that you would stray so far from me? His heart's broken. He's heartbroken as any husband or wife would be if their bride or groom forgot their love and wandered away. And he longs for the day, gets nostalgic for the day of when his people were first freshly in love. Longs for that day when we first loved him. And God knows the power of us remembering that first real love of him when we first experienced it. And so he instructs us and urges us and pleads with us all throughout the Bible, doesn't he? Remember! Oh, remember how much it is I love you. Remember, Israel. I went and 
I found Abram, and, and I just took you as my own just because I love you. Remember, Israel, when I delivered you from Egypt. Remember. Remember the love. Jesus tells us, remember. Remember the love that I gave and poured out in my very life on the cross. Each time you take the cup and the bread, oh, remember our first love. Because God knows. Why does he remind us so much? Because God knows in the the crush of life, it's easy to forget. Those of you who know the Lord, can, can you remember the day when you first discovered him and his love for you? Maybe for many of you, if you're like me, it was when you were a, a little child. And I remember through the, through the wonder of a little boy, when I first learned that God loved me, I said, wow, God loves me. Yeah. Just as I am? Yes. Why? He just does. Really? Yes, he loves you, Todd. And he loves you so much that he gave the life of his only son so you could be with him together forever and ever and ever and walk in the garden with him again, hand in hand. Wow! And then that love grows older. And the stuff of life comes up. And we become more mature. which for some backwards reason in our culture tends to mean more cerebral and less transparent with our wonder. And we tend to forget, I think, like couples do, that deep longing and overwhelming desire to be with him and to know his love. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John gets a letter from Jesus himself to bring to the seven first century churches. First up, interesting that it's first, is the church of Ephesus. The very first church he addresses. And he says this. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, in your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Oh, well done! And yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken. You've left your first love. 
Repent. Change it. Go back and do the things you did before when you were under that power of the first love that we've had for each other between us and God. If you don't repent, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove your lampstand. It's not going to take away their salvation. A lamp gives light. And without love, there's no witness. Even in a church that's heartily guarding the word and the truth by identifying false apostles, without love, it's nothing. The lampstand has to go because you've stopped witnessing who I am. I know we heard from our own Apostle Paul, Paul Wiggs, a couple of weeks ago when he recited Ephesians for us, and it's ironic, isn't it, that in a letter to the church in Ephesus, one where Paul emphasizes love, unity, between Jew and Gentile, male and female, husband and wife, parents and children, servants and masters, and brothers and sisters. Isn't it fascinating that that's Paul's emphasis in the letter to that church? And a few decades later, Jesus has to send another one and tell him, you've forgotten your first love. Do we forget sometimes, too, our first love? Do we need to be reminded again? Do we need the spirit of Christmas past to help us remember our first love, too? In our case, our first love of God. Through the spirit of Christmas past, Scrooge gets to see the time that he fell head over heels in love with Isabel. And he also sees when he first forgot or when he first walked away from his true love. I want to show you some of those scenes that John has beautifully knit together from A Christmas Carol. And as you watch, but as you watch, I want you to think about it as more than a story about Ebenezer and Isabel, as more than a story about boy meets girl, girl meets boy. Because it's a story, too, I think, about us and God. A story about when we first danced with God and walked with God and fell head over heels in love with God, but then maybe moved away. Let's watch. You're going to marry her, weren't you?
Find another love to replace me. She's much more desirable than I am. I have no idea what you're talking about. This lady here. If you met me today, you would not love me. I would. I do. Shh. I still do. I'm trying to listen. Isabella, I find it impossible to discuss personal affairs during business hours. Now, please. You see, if you weigh me by gain, I weigh very little. And so I'm not enough for you. And I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. Say something, you fool! Say something! Don't go. It's a mistake. Don't go. Be happy in the life you have chosen. Isabel. Isabel? Isabel! You fool! You fool! Dickens, um, he doesn't take Scrooge to his first love of God, but he could have if Scrooge knew him and made the point even stronger. He doesn't take Scrooge to the first time he loved God. He could have. He doesn't take Scrooge. He doesn't take Scrooge to the very first of all Christmases past to the manger and to the baby lying there because of God's love, but he could have. Each Christmas, God invites us to come back home 
if we've wandered. He invites us to come back to that first moment when his endless love for us became real. In Christmas, when it became flesh and blood, Each Christmas is a walk down memory lane to remember the one who loved us first, to remember our love for God. Will we allow, will we allow Christmas and its nostalgia to break us and to soften us again? enough to when we really see that little baby lying in a manger that we can remember again and refresh and make renewed that love that God has for us and us in return, that pit of your stomach ache to be with him. And if we've wandered even a bit from that love, will we listen to that voice of nostalgia that puts on our lips? Will we allow nostalgia to keep us from where Scrooge got? Can you imagine anything more heartbreaking than to get to the end of your life and look back at your younger self having walked away from God and feel the need to cry out to that younger you, oh, you fool. It was such a mistake. Say something. Do something. Where's the love of God? You fool. Christmas invites us to come back now before it's too late if we've wandered from that love of God. Or maybe you're here and you haven't experienced that love yet. It's an invitation to find him this Christmas and to find that first love and to hang on to it and cherish it when you have it. It's interesting, isn't it, how many Christmas songs are nostalgic? One of my favorite nostalgic songs, you know it, I think, I love the feeling of nostalgia it brings, that longing to return home, right? I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Christmas each year is an invitation to come home. Home to the arms of God. Home to that first love. Will you accept that invitation this year and come home for Christmas? Home to the arms of God. And once Scrooge discovers his first love, 
Dickens' next task is to tell him what to do with it. And he gives that task to the spirit of Christmas present who holds the answer. We'll take a look at that next week, but until then, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us first. Thank you for loving us completely. Thank you for literally giving yourself, your all, your only son for us out of that love. Oh, Father, if Christmas can be anything for us this year, would it take us back again? Would you please take us Use Christmas to take us by the hand again, back again, and drown us in that overwhelming feeling of when we first knew you, that first love of you, Father. If we've lost it, if we've wandered from it, help us find it again and overwhelm us with it so it unsqueezes us. Father, take us home this Christmas again. Take us home. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand, please, for the benediction this morning? It comes from Psalm 98. As you listen to God's words in this Psalm of David, be reminded that the literal meaning of the name Jesus or Yeshua in Hebrew is salvation of God or God's salvation. Is there an intentional play on Jesus' name in this psalm? David says, God through David says, The Lord makes known his salvation and his righteousness to all the nations. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And at Christmas time, especially, have seen Jesus. Oh, may we see him again and know him and know the love again, the new and fresh love of a Savior this Christmas and always. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. See you tonight at the Christmas party, six o'clock. You don't want to miss it. God bless you all.